church. So let's enter to a time of worship. Our God's presence is here. He is worthy of every note, every melody on our lips. Can we pour out our whole hearts before him now? Yeah. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Yes, we bow down in this moment, Lord. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord? Almighty, oh, we lift this up. Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. That's right.
the way your presence is our safe place and Lord we feel your presence here today 
Your presence is our home. And since the very beginning, you have called us home. Home to the Father, the Waymaker. Church, we're going to sing a new song today. And as we sing this song, would you picture yourself like the prodigal son of Luke 15? Would you accept the Father's invitation to be who you truly are as a son or as a daughter? Let us encounter the one who's bringing us all home. Yeah. Lord, I confess that I've been a criminal. I've stolen your bread and sang my own song. And Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I bought on my own. We lift this up as this church today. Scarlet sins had a crimson. You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross An empty slave had the empty grave Thank God that stone was rolled away Lord, I confess Since I've been the prodigal Then Jesus came, oh yes, and tore down my prison walls. Death came to life when he called me by name. Scarlet sins had a crimson cost. You nailed my debt to that. Fuck! 
Thank you for your grace, the greatest gift ever given. So today, we reflect on the fullness of your grace. And can we just celebrate it in this place with these words? My chains are gone. 
says for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin and now if we died with Christ we believe that we will also live with him see church this is our homecoming we were all born slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to death, slaves to ourselves, born with a need to be set free. And the good news is, our hope rests on the one who loves to free lost sinners like us. And he has done so through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Our chains are gone. Welcome home. So Lord, as we pray, Thank you for your saving grace that sets us free. Thank you for calling us lost sheep, us lost sinners home. We are yours and you are ours. In your presence we worship you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Well, welcome to second service here at MRCC. Would you just turn to those around you and would you say, welcome home. Good morning, friends. It's good to see you. Man, I walked in this morning when I got here and the worship team was practicing that new song, Homecoming, and it just spoke straight to my heart. Thank God that stone's rolled away. Something powerful happens when we remind ourselves of our Father's victory, um, it, and it's so good. It was so good. Uh, worship is amazing this morning. It's always fantastic. A few announcements that I have to share with us this morning. The first is if you want to get plugged in and connected, the two best ways to do that is to join a team or a group here at MRCC. We have a, a ton of teams like down in uh, Kids Church. The Lord only knows how many dedicated volunteers it takes to operate uh, and to help serve with all those kids. It's fantastic. The worship team is a great example as well. Tons of areas to serve. We also have a lot of groups uh, that meet and that's a great place to get plugged in as well. You can get involved in either of those ways 
by either scanning the QR code on the seat back in front of you, which will take you to a place where you can get signed up and express interest there. Or we have a table in the foyer. If you're a little more old-fashioned, you want to sign up with a pen, uh, we've got that all out there as well. And I'll be out there after service. I would love to answer any questions or just connect with you in that way. Uh, for the ladies, specifically, we have a couple of things coming up. First and foremost is Sisters of Strength, which is tomorrow night uh, at 6.30, and that's our monthly ladies' dinner. It's a great place for uh, the women to get connected, to have a, a dinner, some fellowship, and it's just a great place to get plugged in there. That's going to be happening tomorrow night at 6.30. And then we also have our women's conference coming up in a couple of weeks. I think it's not this Friday, but the following Friday. And today is the last day to get signed up for that. So if you're a lady, if you're interested in going to that women's conference, uh, I'm sure that it's going to be a fantastic time. Uh, you can sign up on our website at mrccnow.org. And then last but not least is our membership classes, which are starting tonight at 6.30, and it'll run tonight. And then the following two Sundays, there are three classes. And if you have uh, decided that you want to call MRCC your home, uh, the membership classes are a great next step to solidify that. It's just going to be a great time to get a little bit more involved, to learn a little bit more. And if you haven't taken them before, it is, it's just a fantastic next step if you've decided to call MRCC your home. We would love to see you there. You can also sign up for that on the website if you wish. It's going to be uh, awesome. So without further ado, go ahead and open your Bibles this morning as Greg prepares to bring it. <laughs> I just never know what they're going to say, you know. I don't know if I'm going to bring it, but I'm going to try this morning. Thank you, Pastor Brent, for, uh, for those announcements. Friends, it's great to be with you. What a beautiful morning. Um, I, I do want to thank us as a church before we do anything else this morning. Um, I want to thank you because uh, you make it so easy for us to get involved and make a difference when it matters. Um, if, if you didn't hear in this last week, um, MRCC has created a connection with one of our Assemblies of God missionaries in Poland, uh, Rich and Lori McLean, and uh, with one of the churches that they have planted in Poland. It's called a Church of the Shelter, beautiful name for the times we're in, and uh, Pastor John Trock, who is there. And we are now partnered with them to serve refugees in crisis in Western Ukraine. So what does that look like? Well, a couple of things. First of all, because we are so faithful in our giving, so generous in our giving, uh, we just immediately met the first need that they've identified. We sent $5,000 this week to buy two things, uh, sleeping bags and medical kits. Pastor Trock tells us that many refugees come with injuries. Uh, and I asked him, what are the two things that you need most right now? And he said, actually, medical kits and uh, sleeping bags. So uh, we have taken the first step to provide those. We sent that money immediately, your money. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving. What that's turning into, though, as, as various ministries and missions agencies mobilize, is a whole lot of material moving there for uh, the refugees. And so I asked Pastor John, I said, hey, is there, are there other ways we can help? And he said, well, as soon as we know exactly what day these containers are going to be delivered to ports and airports, he said, uh, we may need some manpower distributing these things to places where refugees are being housed. And that's just wherever they can put them, in individual houses, apartment buildings, schools. 
actually uh, the missionary rich has kind of developed a, 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 an in into Polish culture over the years. They've been there by being part of a national hunting society, a uh, huge outdoors hunting club there in Poland. As a matter of fact, if you go to their website, you'll see him in a, in a Polish hunting uniform with a horn and all this kind of stuff, but that's his connection. And so a lot of those hunting lodges are now being turned into refugee housing. And he said, we may need help, you know, literally unloading containers and then taking those materials and distributing them to all the places where refugees are. And so he said, do you think it would be possible that MRCC could maybe send a team in a couple of weeks when we have that date? I said, absolutely. So let me just say this to you. Maybe God's calling you to spend a, a couple of weeks in Poland serving refugees. Uh, as that, those details kind of become more apparent, I'm talking with them almost every day. Um, I will keep you informed, and uh, there may come a moment in the next couple of weeks when we send a team over to help serve in that way. The heart of all this is that they are us. They're the church on the front line right in the middle of it. So how can we support them? How can we help them? How can we be part of what they're doing over there? So they're taking the lead, and we're coming alongside. Open your heart. Maybe God's going to call you over there to serve uh, for a couple of weeks. We'll just, like I said, I'll keep you posted, and we'll see how that develops. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving, though, that makes it possible for us to just move like this. We started getting them uh, materials on Thursday of this week, so appreciate that. Uh, cool stuff, good stuff. Um, grab your Bible, if you would, and open it to Romans chapter 5, if you haven't all, uh, already. We're going to continue our journey in Romans together. Last week, we paused for a moment to hear God talk to us about what's happening in our world, to speak to us about this moment, to remind us that we are called to not be alarmed in times such as this, but to know that he's got this situation under his hand. He knows the end from the beginning. But it's equally important, friends, that we don't become so consumed by the news that we pay more attention to it than God's word. Because here's the reality. The problems that we see in our world are a consequence of people departing from God's word and his reality. And the solution in the long haul is for us to get our hearts back right with him. Uh, and so, you know, we're back on track this morning. So Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, continue our journey through Romans together. And let me, let me start this morning by asking you this. Have you ever radically changed your haircut? Maybe a show of hands. You've ever done that sometime in your life? You just dramatically changed your haircut. Uh, th that's happened to me a few times. Uh, you know, the first time, I think, was when I went into the military, and they give you that, you know, that buzz cut when you get in there. They call it a high and tight. You just got hair on top and white walls around the side. And I remember all of us getting shaved like that. And what I remember about it is all of a sudden, we felt different. We felt different about ourselves. We felt different about each other. <laughs> you know, it's, something happened in that moment. Later, when I got out of the service and went to college, I, I experienced a different haircut, one I will eternally regret. Looks a little bit like this. Maybe you remember the days, <laughs> the days of the mullet. Let's forget those days. Somebody told me they're, they're bringing it back, Pastor Greg. I said, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm called to prayer. I'm called to prayer. <laughs> That's because we live in Edenclaw, you realize that. But yeah. And then, you know, uh, uh, in the 90s, do you remember when uh, it was uh, popular for a couple of years there for all the guys to shave their heads? I did that. Got the smooth cut with the, with the goatee. I don't think we have a picture of that anywhere. No, 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 that's the wrong picture. That was, that's a bad picture too. But anyway, and you know, once again, I felt different and people treated me different. How weird is that? you know, but it was profound. When I had my head shaved, I'd go into the supermarket and everybody would like treat me like I was more aggressive. Like I was like, you know, I remember thinking, oh, this is weird, you know, and, 
And then, you know, who remembers the pandemic when we couldn't get a haircut for the longest time? That was not good. I, I looked like this. That was just not good. Here's why I bring it up, friends. You know, when you, when you dramatically change your haircut, it, it changes how you feel about you. And, and, and in a weird way that you can feel, it, it changes the way other people act towards you. It's, it's bizarre. But, but that's the power of identity. And God wants to talk to us about that this morning. He knows the power of identity in our lives. His word is filled with references to it and with calls to own the identity that he gives us. It is human nature to try to create identities for ourselves to try and, and make ourselves feel significant or valuable or important. But God knows that the only identity that can really satisfy us is the one that he gives us. Let me say that again. The only identity that can really satisfy you and me is the one that God gives us. Ever since the beginning, when sin first entered the world, Paul's going to talk about sin in a moment, when sin first entered the world, the first impact that it had, biblically speaking, was Adam and Eve tried to make an identity for themselves. They had lost the one God gave them, their sense of it. The Bible says that they sewed together fig leaves and made costumes for themselves. And God came and said, what are you doing? And we're still doing it. We're still trying to make identities for ourselves. God knows the only one that can satisfy us is the one he gives us, and we must either receive it or reject it, every one of us. So let me ask you this morning, just as we get started, what's your identity? Who are you? If the first thing that pops into your head is your job or some role you play or some political persuasion or some sports team, <laughs> can I just say that God has a better identity for you, and he wants you to receive that. There are a million lies about identity in our world. Uh, our culture will tell you, for example, that, that your sexuality defines you, or that your nationality defines you, or that your culture or your ethnicity or, or your religion, we're not talking about gospel, but man's religions or, or some sports club define you, but God says there's only two identities anybody can have, his or not his, his son or daughter or something made up and fake that can never satisfy our souls. And that's what's on Paul's heart here in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. He's going to call the believers at Rome to embrace their identity. The Holy Spirit is going to call you this morning to embrace the identity that God seeks to give you because of the power that is in that identity. Uh, Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Let's, let's listen to the apostle together. Paul starts out and he says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, and then suddenly Paul stops and interrupts himself. <laughs> In this moment, he remembers, oh, that's right, I'm writing to the church at Rome, and instead of preceding 
into a subject that he had already taught the believers in person like he did at Ephesus or Corinth or Thessalonica or wherever. Instead, he remembers, oh, that's right. I haven't been there to teach the Romans. So he interrupts himself and he steps back into that teaching. It's important to understand what's happening in this moment because this is one of the keys to, to learning your Bible well. God uses personality. He uses circumstances. He uses situations. He uses the Apostle Paul's background and experiences in this moment. He embraces our humanness when he speaks to us. Um, this is important. Jesus had a cultural background, a gender, a language, favorite sayings, priorities, a history, and each of those are a tool that God uses to make himself known through Christ. Same thing with the apostle. And the same thing here. So Paul interrupts himself and he goes back into what he had taught the other churches in person, remembering he hadn't taught the Romans. And so verse 13 is the beginning of him shifting gears before he gets back to where he was. And listen to what he says. He was talking about sin and he says this. Before the law was given, sin was in the world. That's significant. We tend to think of sin as breaking God's rules. But Paul says, hey, guess what, gang? Before there were any rules, sin was there. It's more than just breaking a rule. It always eventually ends up in breaking a rule. But before that, there's more to it. There's a root to it. Before the law was given, the commandments... Sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. That's a way of saying we don't recognize what it is when we don't have a law. So later on, he's going to say that's why God gave the law. Nevertheless, Paul says, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Moses was the one who brought the commandments. Even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command. They had no commands. Yet still sin and the reality of it was happening. This is important because we tend to default into thinking that sin is fundamentally breaking God's rules. But it's not. That's the result of it. That's the symptom of it. But it actually goes deeper than that. So he says, death reigned even over those who didn't sin by breaking command like Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. When the Bible says all sinned, it means that sin is more than breaking rules because before there were any, human beings were suffering the consequences of it. Now, a little aside here for a moment. When God talks about sin, he's, he's talking about the biggest problem in the world. It's not the price of oil. <laughs> it's not the stock market. It's not the economy. It's not who's in the White House. No. The biggest problem in the world is sin, and that problem gives rise to all the others. This is why you can't redeem the world by killing all the right people. <laughs> it won't work because the problem is on the inside. It's deeper than that. And Jesus said that when it comes to this problem, the real problem in the world, when it comes to this, he says we should be, we should be desperate and extreme about fighting it. Here's how he said it, his own words, Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what he said. He said, Greg, I added that part. It doesn't actually say Greg, but Greg, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Whoa. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And then, in case I missed the point, if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, friends, again, if you're going to understand your Bible, you have to realize Jesus is going to use what we call hyperbole. He's going to use proverbialisms. He's going to use colloquialisms, idioms. He is not saying here to self-mutilate yourself. Okay? I, I hope I don't need to say that, but in case I do, please understand. His point is, take this seriously. This is a big deal. I know that you think the big deal is over here, but it's actually right here. It's sin in your heart 
It's sin in your neighbor's heart. Oh boy, this is the big deal, Jesus says. And it's so serious. He says, I want you to feel the seriousness. So I'm going to use this extreme language. And, and, and the reason is because we tend to have a relaxed disposition towards sin, and Jesus wants to change that. Again, we tend to think of sin as the breaking of a rule, but it's really the poisoning of the heart and mind. God says, hey, when rules are broken, I'm a father. I know how to deal with rules when kids break them. I bring consequences. They learn from it. He says, I can do that. I got control of that. But he says, you've got to understand that the sin is more than that. It is the poisoning of the heart and mind. The first consequence in the lives of Adam and Eve when they sinned was that they became insecure, began to hide from God, began to try to create identities of their own instead of the ones God had given them. See, their heart and mind became poisoned. They started seeing everything in the world, even God, differently. And it's striking because Genesis tells us that despite the fact that they had sinned, God came looking for them like he did every other day. His heart towards them hadn't changed one iota, but their ability to see it and feel it, that's what had changed. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, gang, you want to understand sin is more than just the breaking of rules because even before there was rules, people were suffering from it. He said, no, it's deeper, it's bigger than that. And when we understand that, then we begin to grasp the significance of identity. Let's understand now, Paul is writing to the Jews, he's writing to the world's best rule keepers who thought of themselves, who thought of the ultimate reality of their relationship with God as, as rules. Because again, we talked about this when we talked about Abraham, they thought of a relationship with God as a two-sided covenant. Here's my part, here's God's part. I do my part, God does his part, and we got a relationship. But what did God tell Abraham from the very beginning? Hey, this covenant is about what I'm going to do for you. It's all on me. All I'm going to ask you to do is believe in what I'm doing for you. World of difference between those two approaches. The Jews thought of rules as their part of holding up the bargain. God said, you can't hold up the bargain on your best day. Matter of fact, in a moment, Paul's going to say that's the whole reason God gave the commandments so that you could see you can't hold up your end of the bargain and bring you back to the reality that I hold it up for both of us. Paul wants us to grasp that because when we think of sin as breaking a rule, then we fail to see the cure for it, which lies in the identity that we receive. You see, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, rejected the identity God had given them and tried to establish their own. I wonder if you're trying to do that these days. To be a good enough mom that you can look yourself in the mirror and say, that's who I am. To be a good enough worker, career builder, business owner, neighbor, whatever. To be a good enough one that you can sort of give yourself an identity, give yourself a labor and say, yeah, I matter. God says, it'll never work. It'll never work. You must begin with the one I give you which is my son, my daughter. I love to tell the story. I've shared it before about our son Isaiah when he was a toddler. He was about three years old, and it was a, a, a weeknight, and, and he had sometimes gotten the habit of sleeping in bed with Ron and I, and we were weaning him away from that. And on this particular night, he was determined to sleep with us. We were determined to make sure he slept in his own bed. And so this battle of wills began. <laughs> He would come climb into our bed, and we'd go, no, you can't. We'd take him back and put him in his bed. We'd go upstairs. He'd sneak back into the bedroom, climb back into our bed. And, you know, I remember before I was a parent, I said, God, please, please, I'm begging you, Lord, don't give me a passive child. <laughs> Be careful what you pray for, <laughs> right? 
finally, this thing, this thing went on for hours. I mean, he had a will. He has a will. It was strong. He'd come up. He'd come up. And he's getting mad at me, and I'm getting mad at him. And, and then finally, with his teddy bear in his hand, he screamed at me, you're not my dad. You know, he's three years old. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was your dad. It's only my kids that sleep in this house. I bet your parents are looking for you. We need to get you home, right? And so I took him downstairs, and we went outside to the end of the driveway, and I said, you better get home. Mom and Dad are probably looking for you. And I went back inside and closed the door. <laughs> you know what happened, right? You know what happened. He comes running to the door. Bah, 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 dad, let me in. I opened the door. Oh, I'm your dad? Oh, then absolutely. Come on in here. Let's go to bed. Now, I tell that story only for one reason. God wants to have that same moment with you. You're trying to build your own identity. You're saying, I, I, I want to make myself important, significant, meaningful. I want to build my own identity. God says it begins with receiving the one I give you. You need to recognize that. You need to receive that. You need to own that. Adam and Eve's sin, the consequences of their sin was to grasp for another identity. They began to do what a lot of modern people do, which is to believe in God without believing God. There's a difference between those two things. The gospel is not believe that God exists. The gospel is that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, believing that. To, to, when you receive Christ as your Savior, God becomes specific and personal to you. Now it's a question of believing him instead of just believing in the idea. And this rejecting of our identity as his sons and daughters, it separates us from him. Again, not because he turns his face away, but because we turn ours away. That's what we do when we reject that identity. And all that changes when we come to Christ. All that changes when we receive Jesus as our Savior. Now we can say, oh, that's right, God, I belong to you. I'm your daughter. I'm your son. That's who I am. No matter what happens at work, no matter what happens at school, no matter what happens to my family, no matter what happens in my neighborhood, that's who I am. You know, Rhonda teaches the toddlers and preschoolers in, in kids' church uh, every other month down the hall. And, um, you know, sometimes a, a child will be squirrely and wild, and Rhonda can almost 90% of the time just manage them on her own. But once in a while, that child, she'll have to say, do you want me to go call your mom? <laughs> it's amazing how much power that has over a toddler. I don't know why they never say, do you want me to go call your dad? The kids, like, aren't afraid of the dad, right? But if you say, do you want me to go get your mom? Suddenly, they're like, no, 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 no. That's the power of identity. They know who they are. And it has immense power in their lives. God wants you to feel that same thing, to embrace that same thing. And, and there's a, an even bigger connection to this before we bring it full circle. And that is that this sin problem that Paul's talking about that existed before there were rules, it isn't just a matter of me and God. It's also a matter of me and my fellow human beings. Because my sin doesn't just affect my relationship with God. It affects my relationship with you. It affects our relationship with each other. So the apostle goes on to say, look at verse 15. He says, the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, one sin was condemnation for all men because it affected everything, so the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. If you want to kind of picture this, if you ride in a car with several people, whoever's in the driver's seat has a huge impact on everybody else, right? 
you change the driver, you change the experience of everybody in the car. Paul is saying, when you change your driver, when you receive Christ as your Lord, that changes the experience of everyone in the car, not just you, but everybody else. This touches on the Christian idea of original sin, which you may have heard that phrase, and you probably misunderstood it. Maybe you have. Let me help you discern it for you. The Christian idea of original sin isn't that each individual is his or her own Adam and repeats his behavior, even though that's true. That's not the doctrine. The Christian doctrine is not that Adam is representative of the whole people and we are included in him in in some sort of Republican governmental image. It's not that at all. In those days, such a thing was hardly known. And the Christian idea of original sin is not that we inherited a tendency, although that is also true. At the root of the Christian idea of original sin is that humanity is a we. We not only have a relationship with God, we have a relationship with each other, and sin affects it. So what I do impacts my neighbor. What I do impacts people I don't even live next to. We see this in a million ways. We affect each other constantly through our water, through our air, through our attitudes, through the horror of aggression and war like we're seeing in our world now. The flip side of this is that goodness isn't just between me and God. It's between me and my fellow human being. So we sin collectively and experience it individually. Paul wants us to grasp that. He wants us to understand that. And he wants us to say, now, who are you going to identify with? Those who choose sin as their identity or those who choose God, sons and daughters of God as their identity. Because when we identify with him, it changes us. I remember as a boy, I looked up to my grandfather so much. I admired him so much. He was so important to me that unconsciously, even without intending to or thinking about it, I adopted all kinds of things about him. The way I look at the world, the way I relate to people, the way I think of what a man is. I got all that from my grandfather. What a profound effect my simple identifying with him had. God says it's the same for you and me. What a profound effect who we choose to identify with has on us. Now, the good news of the gospel is that that Jesus reverse infects us. <laughs> okay, so think of him as the antibiotic and sin as the, the infection. Well, when we receive him, or as Paul puts it in verse 17, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, then we begin to experience the healing. We don't heal ourselves. We receive the healing. And when the apostle writes, the law was added so the trespass might increase, verse 20, what he's saying is that the rules came along to reveal that we have a fever and infection in the first place. And that the cure... It's to identify with Christ, to receive that affection in reverse. Or as Christopher Walken said, I got a fever, I need more cowbell. We say, (laughs) I got a fever, I need more Jesus. Once we confess this, I do little things like that to wake you up if you're just drifting off, you know. But we receive the grace that heals us. And so then the apostle goes on to zero in identity. Here's where we kind of turn the corner into the home stretch. Look at verse uh, 2 of chapter 6. Paul says, what shall we say then? Since all this is true, since everything we just talked about is real, Paul says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, shall we go on sinning that we keep knowing that we have an infection? Paul says, no, the point of knowing is to be healed of it. So he says, by no means, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In other words, that's our old identity. Now we have a new one. When he says we died to sin, he's speaking of that word picture of baptism. We were, our old self died. We were born again. We rose new. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, meaning that we experience 
that death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we may live a new life. We may have a new identity. The key idea is here that we died to sin and we were adopted into God's family and therefore we have a new identity. So Paul says, verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. Adopt that identity. Let me challenge you again. When I ask you who are you is the first thing that comes into your heart, a son of God a daughter of God, a follower of Jesus. As you own that identity, it's a reverse infection. It begins to transform you in ways you won't even recognize until you look back and go, wow, I've become a different person. Adopt that identity, Paul says. If you were adopted today into a new family, you would begin to adapt to it. The same process is at work. James Swanson writes about a, a talk that, that Abraham Lincoln gave to slaves set free by the Union Army's occupation of the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia in April of 1865. As the president visited the newly liberated capital of the Confederacy, hundreds of slaves rallied around him, thronged him in the downtown area of the city. And Lincoln paused to speak to them as he often did. He said, my friends, you are free now, free as air. You can cast off the title of slave and leave it behind. Liberty is yours, but do not let your joy carry you into excesses because freedom does not consist in the absence of laws, but in the obeying of them. Learn the laws and live by them and you will be truly free. What a wise moment. Pastor Timothy Keller writes on the same subject. He says, modern people tend to see freedom as the absence of restraints. But think of a fish. Because it absorbs oxygen from water, it's free only if it stays in the water. If the fish leaves the water, it's not more free, but less so. And indeed, it will die of its so-called freedom. The same is true for us. We are called to own this identity, sons and daughters of God. I belong to the household, the family of God. Oh, okay, and that comes with rules, but the rules aren't the point. The rules are an expression of my identity. The rules are an expression of who I am. And once we grasp that, then we really get at the root of this problem of sin. Paul goes on to say, verse 13 of chapter 6, so don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Instead, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. In other words, give yourself fully to your new identity. This is so important, friends, because here's what we do when we think of sin as the breaking of rules. We say, I want to try to not break the rules. I'm going to try really hard to not break the rules. Trying hard to not do something is a road to nowhere. In fact, you're congenitally incapable of it. Let's just do a little experiment. I'm going to count to three in a moment, and then I'm going to say, do not think of zebras. Let's see how successful you are when I count to three. Okay, all I want you to do, it's a simple thing, right? Don't think of zebras. This is easy. You ready for this? One, two, three. Don't think of zebras. Oops, darn it. Everybody in the room pictured a zebra. And, but see, that's what we do sometimes with our battle with sin. Ah, oh, I'm trying really hard not to do it. God says, no, Greg, that's not the way. Instead... Offer yourself to your new identity in the pursuit of righteousness. That's where the change occurs. You say, I'm going to do stuff instead of not do stuff. 
Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, straining towards what is the head, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called us heavenward in Jesus. Yeah. So when you own your identity, you say, okay, I'm seeking to do good things instead of not do bad things. And that is where the freedom comes in. That is where the power of identity transforms us. Make no mistake, in Jesus, God is inviting you to embrace your new identity, to pursue holiness and righteousness, a God-honoring life of chastity, humility, courage, gentleness, suffering, and serving others. He's not calling you to not do things as much as to do things that lead to life. Look at verses 19. He drills this home. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, now offer them. Do the opposite. Offer them in slavery to righteousness, which leads to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What a beautiful phrase. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things? Those things result in death. Now that you have been set free and have become slaves to God, there's a new identity. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. There's a poignant moment. We're almost done. There's a poignant moment back in 2 Kings chapter 11 at the beginning of that awful story where King David not only committed adultery with another man's wife, but then arranged for the murder of that other man. It's a horrible story. And at the root of it, is a simple issue of identity. In 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says this. In the springtime, the time when kings go off to war, David didn't. He stayed home. He stopped endeavoring to serve righteousness and instead said, you know what? I'm just going to stay home and try not to do anything wrong. And of course, the result was a tragedy, a catastrophe. Friends, we are made to serve. And it's in that serving that we find freedom. This is why Jesus invites us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden light. He doesn't say, throw off all yokes, get rid of yokes. The key is, you got a yoke on your shoulders, you need to get rid of the yoke. He says, no, trade it out for mine. That's where you'll find what you're looking for. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You'll find rest for your souls carrying my yoke. I love how Russell Moore puts this. He writes, for too long, we have called people to invite Jesus into their lives. He said, I think that's all wrong. Jesus wasn't, doesn't want to be in your life. Your life's a mess. <laughs> he wants to invite you into his. <laughs> he wants to bring you into his life. And there's the reality. Friends, when he says my yoke is easy, he doesn't mean it's not a yoke. He says, no, 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 uh, take mine upon you. This is who you are. This is who you were made to be. And that's where the freedom is. So how do you do that? Let's just finish in our last five minutes. I'll give you a couple quick pracs, and then we're out of here. Number one is to step up and serve in some way. Find a way to serve. Find a way to serve your church, your community, uh, your workplace. Find a way to serve. Uh, Ron and I will be forever grateful that as brand new believers coming to church for the first time as a young married couple, a middle-aged couple in our church, Larry and Irma Reed, came and grabbed us. And they said, come help us in children's church. And for the next three years, we walked alongside them and learned like you can't believe and discovered who we were and discovered who God is. Why? Because we were serving, because we were part of a team like Pastor Brent talked about a moment ago. Find a way to serve. If you're not serving anywhere in your church, I just want to invite you to consider doing that. Step up. We make sure nobody gets burned out or serves too much, but find a place 
to step in. Be with a team. Be with a group. God will grow you through that. That's the first one, step up and serve. The second one is to be willing to give up a so-called freedom. You know, when I was a new believer, I was so into working out hours every day, the gym, running, doing stuff all the time, because that was my identity. Not long after I became a believer, God said, I'm, I want to give you a new identity, Greg. Those things are fine unless you try to make them your identity. And he said to me in his word, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, physical training is of some value. You should do some. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And it was hard for me to give up two and a half, three hours a day in the gym. But the identity that I found when I reduced it to 45 minutes a day was really what I was looking for the whole time. And then maybe there's a, a so-called freedom you want to give up in your life so that you can embrace the one God's calling you to. He'll meet you in that. The third thing is to give yourself to worship. You know, sometimes we say, well, gosh, I'm just not really into singing. That's not my thing. But God says, learn to be. Again and again, King David in your Psalms says to himself, worship the Lord, praise the Lord, rise up, O my soul, and praise the Lord. Because he knows how powerful it is in terms of his own identity. He says, I need that. I need to embrace that. You know, when I was a youth pastor many years ago, I had a saying as I was teaching the kids how to worship. Uh, I would say, hey, listen, if you can't sing well, sing loud so that you're giving your best. And, and they would own that. And the worst singers in the room would be the loudest. And it was awesome. We're okay with you being the worst singer in the room, okay? But in all seriousness, when you begin to worship, when, when you begin to worship, you say, God, I'm here to sing to you. God will meet you in the middle of that. He'll transform your identity. There is supernatural power in worship. If, if you're the person who is still thinking that the main point of coming to church is the sermon, that's because you haven't grown up yet. The main point in coming to church is the worship. The sermon's just extra. As you give yourself to worship, you'll find that identity rising up in you. All right, almost done. The fourth thing is to forgive as you've been forgiven. Your identity will flow from your willingness to forgive. Even when it's hard, even when it brings tears, when you choose to forgive, your identity as God's son, God's daughter increases. And then finally, the last one is to surrender to a habit of thanksgiving daily. Daily. Every day, give thanks the blessings that fill your life. The Bible says that's actually the key to peace in troubled times. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ. I, I love the little tagline my wife has on her emails at work. It says, gratitude makes what you have enough. It's real. It's real. That habit of thanksgiving will transform you. Friends, we do because we are. Our identity is the most powerful aspect of who we are. So let me ask you again as we close, and I finish with one last story. Who are you? Do you look in the mirror and you say, son of God, daughter of God, follower of Jesus? What's your identity? It's okay to have other ones on the side, but what is your identity? That's what changes you. So the scripture says, own that. God says, own that, Greg. Had a conversation with my dad this week very tender one. Mom and dad live on a fixed income down in Oregon. And, um, you know, they're very limited in their ability to handle challenges when they come up financially. And so Ron and I often step in to help. But we've learned that, you know, dad doesn't love that. <laughs> dad doesn't love that much at all. 
up six months ago, eight months ago, uh, they got a plumbing problem in their bathroom. And uh, it's a significant problem. I only found out about it from mom. So I said, mom, call a plumber and let's get that fixed. And then just tell the plumber to send the bill to us. We'll take your, don't tell that. <laughs> so they did and we took care of it. And this week my dad found out <laughs> that we fixed the plumbing in the bathroom. And he calls me up and he's weeping. He says, I didn't know it was going to cost so much. And, and he says, I, you shouldn't have spent all that money. I said, Dad, come on. And he says, he says, I think I can get $25 out of my Social Security check every month. I'm going to send it to you every month until we get this paid off. I said, Dad, are you kidding? And I said, I said, Dad, when I was a boy for years, you fed me, you clothed me, you put a roof over my head, you came home every day. How can I ever thank you enough for that? This is a privilege to fix the plumbing in your bathroom. Are you kidding? Dad, this is because this is I owe you so much. No, I don't want you to pay for it. And we went back and forth and I realized that Dad was having a hard time accepting a new identity. Not just as the one who does stuff for me, but the one who lets me do stuff for him. But that's where God wants to take our relationship. Maybe you are living with that same kind of struggle, trying to build your own identity, trying to do the stuff that makes you important. God says, it's a dead end, leads nowhere. Instead, I want you to let me give you the identity of my son, my daughter, because in that, you'll find what you're looking for. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes this morning. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you for that call to be your son, your daughter, before anything and everything else. And friends, as we thank him for that, maybe you're wrestling with identity. You, you want to prove to God that you're somebody. God says, I already love you more than you know. I need you to let me give you the identity you were made for. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that when you do, you become a, a daughter of God, a son of God. And in this moment, he wants you to have that identity. And you can receive it by just opening your heart to him. God is right there with you in this moment. You just say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. God, I want to be your son. In that moment, he adopts you. That can happen for you right here and right now. He's listening to you. Maybe, maybe you did that a long time ago, but somewhere along the line, you got all caught up in other identities. This morning, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to, to set them aside. It's okay to have a little bit of that. But he wants you to remember, first and foremost, that you belong to him. And he's inviting you this morning to own that identity again, to count yourself his God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it reaches right down into where we live. As we go from here today, we pray it would be with the identity you give us before anything else. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah. This identity thing, it's so strong. God says, remember, you're mine. You're mine. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon, friends.